The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Most people that go to the West Method, they can hardly wait to get to birds and launchers. All the other stuff just doesn't seem interesting to them. But if you start training a dog before you've earned his respect, you're going to be training that dog forever because he's not going to listen to you. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wooden grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. I have a long-awaited and long-requested uh, guest on the podcast. We have Martha Greenley. Martha, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah. So we are here at your lovely home and, and ranch and farm uh, here in Virginia, and uh, I've truly mean that you're very often requested probably one of the most requested guests that i've had doing the podcast over the years is wow when are you going to get wes gibbons when are you going to get study with style training with mo all that stuff so i'm finally i first off thanks for opening your doors to us and and entertaining us and running puppies and stuff like that but i'm excited to really kind of dive deep into this training method that so many find useful and helpful to them so go ahead and start off. Introduce yourself for those that don't know and kind of tell everybody how you fell into the bird dog world. Um, well, I fell into the bird dog world through my husband um, who had setters and uh, was a meat hunter. And uh, I started hunting with his setter and I really liked it. And I thought 
I wanted my own dog, and his dogs had no manners. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought it would be fun to get a Brittany and actually teach that Brittany to be steady to wing and shot. We we would go pheasant hunting, and we would um, carry three bullets and get five pheasant because Herney, who was at a hernia at birth, um, would leap in the air and catch a couple of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just a shotgun ammo conservancy there. Exactly. Exactly. So I thought, you know, I think I'd like to see one better trained. Um, so I went the route most people do. I bought a bunch of books. Um, I got Delmer Smith's book. Actually attended a Delmer Smith seminar. Um, Whaley's book, Wing and Shot. Um, there were some uh, videos out, and a guy named Dave Walker, who was a well-known Brittany breeder and field trialer, had made um, some videos, and he had advertised them in the Brittany magazine. And so I ended up ordering some of them, and I honestly had no idea what I was looking at, but it was so different than anything else I'd seen, and it must have my gut must have reacted to it. You know, I'm going, I want to learn this. So I was telling my husband about it, and I think he was worried I was going to go out to Idaho. We lived in Western Pennsylvania at the time. So he called Dave up, and he said, hey, Dave, um, and they were both military. They were both in the Navy. Um, so they're, they're doing that, you know, Navy thing. <laughs> and, and he said, how'd you, how did you feel about coming out to do a seminar for us? And Dave said, well, yeah, sure. So he came out and did the seminar. And I remember um, we were in the kitchen, and I had taught my dogs. We had like four, I think, in the house at the time. And I had taught them to woe, and I put a treat in front of them. And I'm showing off to Dave, right? So I'm going, whoa, whoa, you whoa. Uh Uh-oh. And... uh, you know, then I'd say, okay, Ginger, and she'd get her treat, and, you know, so-and-so would get her treat and stuff. And um, I thought I was really cool. <laughs> and Dave goes, what are you saying, whoa, to those dogs? And I said, well, what else do you say to them? And he said, well, you don't say, whoa, you don't talk to them. And I said, what do you mean you don't talk to them? And I, I was really frustrated, and, and I said, um, I said, well, when do I talk to them? And he said, well, when they talk to you first. <laughs> so that was, my, that was my introduction to Dave Walker. And he and his wife and my husband and I became very good friends with them. Uh, and Dave sort of mentored me, um, both in breeding and in training. Mm. So he introduced me to, uh, to Bill West and the, the West Method. And at the same time, Mo was bringing... Mo Lindley was bringing Dave in. So we used to talk to each other on the phone. Um, so while you brought Dave in for a seminar, Mo's also using Dave, Dave for seminars. He was. And by extension, that's kind of how you and Mo got linked up over exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. And and over time, we became, became very good friends. Okay. So we're definitely going to dive into that for a second. I want to I hear a little bit more about Bill West, too, because... Uh, I haven't I haven't really spoken to anybody that that knew Bill West personally, and so the first thing that 
you met me here at the door with is as we immediately jumped in like a lot of dog people do and just i mean it's like hey i'm i'm nick i'm martha let's start talk dogs yeah <laughs> and uh you immediately said the the thing that gravitated you and a lot of others to this method is it's not so much just a training method it's more of a thought process or a philosophy right and and you you alluded to Bill West was the one that really kind of got that uh, worked into your into your head. So I want to I want to dive deeper into that and and how that came about in your thought process on what the West method really is. Yeah. So I I describe the West method basically basically as a philosophy. It's a way to think about training and. Once you, once you kind of grasp that philosophy, you can apply it to many different situations, whether it's, you know, running puppies or force fetch or just a, a lot of things. And um, ba- basically, the, the West method is the bird is a teacher. So the trainer's job is to set up a situation where the where the dog can learn from the bird and an, an example would be you might I don't know if I'm jumping ahead but, but but you might put a bird in a launcher and then you would bring that dog in crosswind to the launcher and when the dog takes a step you would launch the bird so the bird is actually teaching the dog not to take a step um, that's just like a quick quick example but Bill, um, as I understand it, I I did meet him a couple times at his camp, excuse me, his camp in Arizona, and uh, he was a great guy. He loved to talk politics, Uh-oh. <laughs> and he um, he was older then, and he was hunting gambles quail on foot, and he was trying a new technique, which was he had a balloon, a helium balloon, and he had it tied to his um, belt. And the idea was that as they walked, he had two young, younger guys with him, that balloon would cast a shadow like a hawk, and those gambles would freeze, and then these guys could walk up on him and flush him. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was one of my first meetings with Bill. He, uh, he thought outside the box, I guess. But Bill apparently, as the, as the story goes, learned his method of training from a Chinaman. And when I heard that, it made complete sense because as we, we were talking earlier, the West method to me is much more um, like Eastern thought. Um, ev- everything is equal. We're equal to trees and rocks and dogs. No one is superior. Um, in Western civilization, we are superior. So we are superior to dogs. And a lot of training methods, we tell the dog when to point uh, or where to go to find birds, you know. But in the West method, the dog has the freedom to learn basically, I mean, in, in a way it's probably... Uh, manipulated, obviously, a little bit, but basically, the dog learns from the bird, not from from the trainer. Mm-hmm. And so often in this world, you hear that: let the bird be the teacher. the The bird can teach the dog more than we could ever hope to. And I think a lot of people think 
they're doing that or they're trying to do that. Uh, but there's there's a lot of different elements that, that people can attribute that to. You know, you in theory could just take your dog out on wild birds and just... Exactly. And just just let them just keep going, 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 going. But we don't have wild birds. But certain areas of the country, they have that luxury. They have that fortune. Where we're at down here in the southeast, we don't have that. And that, you know, there's other areas in the country that struggle, you know, different areas more so than others. So our job as trainers is to simulate the, the wild bird contact or the hunting scenario the best way we can. Exactly. And and I think a lot of people forget that that's what we're out there to try and do when they go out there and their training methods or their training session maybe don't they they don't do the best at setting that up for the bird to teach the dog and that's what I think a lot of people gravitate towards this this method that we're about to kind of go into further because it makes sense to where it is putting the bird out front more often than not, and the bird is teaching the dog, we're just kind of there to make sure that the scenario unfolds the way it's supposed to, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier when we were working that puppy on the Johnny House birds. If, if the bird is a teacher, the birds have to be good birds. You have to have pigeons that get up. You can't, pl- you, can't you know, dizzy them and throw them down on the ground or put their head under their wing, they're, they're, they're not going to get up. Um, quail have to be able to fly and not be caught. So, you know, Johnny houses were great to have, where, where you have birds that are good teachers. Um, it, it puts a lot more emphasis on the caliber of bird that you use than, um, you know, uh, anything really yeah. and that that's the beginning step is right there is, is so uh, we're out there today we take a three month that's how old sally was is right <laughs> three, three month old Brittany, and you, you kind of said this is what we're going to do we're going to go out there we're going to go for a walk i don't talk to the dog it's the dog you know the puppy's expect or my expectation is the, the puppy to pay attention to where i'm at not for me to keep track of the exactly puppy. i ignore her right and so it was very quiet. We we leave we we leave the starting point and we go all the way out to the Johnny House and we release birds. There's no planning. There's there's no launchers. There's none of that. And this is a three month old puppy, and we're all just sitting there talking as your puppy once there's birds out there opens up and it's just going to get bird contact, bird contact, bird contact, never catching a single one. And these birds are flying as close to an actual wild quail as you're going to get. There's no human scent on it. There's no foot scent from you planting it. It's not dizzy, so you don't have to worry about it not getting up and catching. And my favorite thing about the whole walk is you looked up at me with a big smile at one point, and you're like, you know, there are some things on this walk that I can't even tell you what this dog is learning at this moment. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) And, And so... This is the early development stage. So this is this is what you do with all of your puppies coming up. Uh, you just go for these these essentially fun runs or fun walks with lessons built in with actual wild flying birds. Well, I wouldn't even say they were lessons; they were opportunities. Um, you know, I, I like to get a puppy hot and take her down to the water to a pond, and I'm not going to put her in the water, but she's you know a couple times. When she's hot, she's going to start to get in the water on her own. And if a, if a dog learns something on their own, it's so much more powerful 
Um, and she, she, she knows how to swim. She just hasn't had the op- opportunity. So um, the, the birds encourage her to point. They're teaching her just what you were talking about earlier, how close she can get. You know, uh, Bill Gibbons, not to get off track, but um, Bill Gibbons did a great interview, um, and it was titled The Magic Man. Did you ever read that? I did. I actually don't remember it, but I remember somebody sent it to me, and I remember reading it. <laughs> well, there was a section in there where Bill talks about, Bill Gibbons talks about why dogs point. And he used the analogy of a cat and how a cat will stalk a bird or a rabbit or something like that. They'll stalk a little bit and then they stop. And they stalk a little bit and then they stop. And there's like this pause before the pounce. And, and over, over time, dogs have been bred for that pause to be longer and longer. And that's basically what the point is. And so the more birds that you can show a dog that they can't catch, the more that dog is going to be encouraged to stand there. If that makes sense. Absolutely. It, it, it reminds me, I had a, a listener a few weeks ago reach out to me and he's like, man, what do you do with, with your dog when all the robins are migrating <laughs> through here and, and it's just going crazy and trying to catch all these birds. And I told him nothing. Don't, don't acknowledge it. It's not going to catch a wild Robin. And at the end of the day, all it's doing is teaching that dog. It's not going to catch birds. Exactly. I understand we're not targeting robins. No, but, but that's exactly right. Yeah. It's like yeah. you using a wild bird. It, that's, that's an opportunity to teach a dog a lesson without you having to be the one teaching them. That's right. And, um, dogs are, bird. Bird dogs, pointing dogs, are bred to have um, this this love for quail scent. Not so much pigeon, but you know, quail more more game birds. I mean, that's part of their DNA. They're not bred to be crazy about robins, so you know that's more play. But they're not, you know, it's not it's not, mm. you know, so. Back to the session that we're we're running Sally oh, yeah. on. Like you said, there's there's ample opportunities to to learn. There's more lessons than what we could teach them. And, and I I think I looked at you at one point. And I told you that that scenario that we were watching young puppy interacting with birds, not catching. We sat there and watched that puppy on certain reps. A bird would get up, self correct, and stop itself from chasing because she was learning. Again, 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 I can't catch that bird. So that chase was naturally getting controlled by the dog's own impulse control. But there were so many other things that you were saying that that they're learning. And I was like, most people in this scenario would be losing their brains right now because they don't have control over anything, right? (laughs) It's funny. (laughs) They don't know where the birds are. They can't keep the dog from chasing the bird. You're not, you, you didn't say a word to the dog, let alone you weren't screaming whoa when the dog has no idea what whoa is. The West method is it's between the dog and the bird. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like, we're watching that unfold. 
and taking it all in and learning. And then you just said, I think there's going to be a little water down here at the creek. I'm going to go down here and hopefully she gets in and she's just going to naturally learn water, not only finding water while you're out there hunting and taking care of yourself to where they can learn how to pace, but also that's going to transition into the puppy learning. It's okay to get in water and they're going to swim on their own. It seems like so much of the emphasis that I was learning and brought up in this bird dog world to where how we introduce birds, how we introduce water, all this stuff. I just watched how you do it with a three-month-old puppy without you doing anything. Like, it it just, besides letting some quail out on the landscape, that's really all we did. So it it was really eye-opening to actually watch that transpire and and take hold. And and I, I don't even have a question to follow up on that. I was just the early development stage is like how how often are you doing that and how long are you doing it if that makes sense so some of it depends on the puppy and um i'll usually walk a puppy basically 3 times a week um and sometimes i can just tell that they can do more you know um uh, they're ready for more, you know, you're, you're, as you're taking them for walks, you're, I'm walking them longer and longer. So, uh, endurance is, is very important to me. It's like, I, I breed, I try to breed for the hour dog. Um, but at the same time, you want, you want a hunter to have a dog that he can at least hunt a morning with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, Britney's actually have a problem where, you know, a lot of them just aren't even built right and, and can go about half an hour. So I, I think it's important to build the hour dog. If I run a puppy when they're little, I actually believe that they will, they, they will get hot. They will get uncomfortable. Maybe their, their lungs may get tired. I don't know, but when when they're doing that and they're finding birds, they're saying, you know, this isn't so bad. You know, I, I can work through this because I'm going to, like, find another bird. <laughs> right. So you're, you're building up a certain level of mental toughness, I think, which I think is very important if you sell your puppies to hunters and to field trialers. Um, I think that early, you know, you get somebody that's 12, it's like kids, you know, and then you get somebody that's 12 and they're going, you know, I think I want to go, go, go home and play with my phone or something. But you get them excited, you get them, you know, a little bit pushing themselves. And um, I think it's, it's healthy. I think it's really good for them. Well, and it's not just so much toughness, but focus as well. It's one Very thing to much. Have, it's, it's one thing to have that dog out there for an hour and that can physically take it, but one that'll stay out there for the hour and still be looking for that bird at the hour mark as they were at the two minute mark. That, that's right. And actually we use a term actually called work ethic. You know, I mean, that's a quality I look for in, in a young dog is do they have a good work ethic? And is, is a work ethic something that, you know, we talk nature and nurture a lot, you know, genetics is is the work ethic more genetic in your opinion or can it be nurtured and brought out of a dog well in a sense to me that's almost the same thing um so i think that if a dog has it you can develop it if a dog doesn't have it it doesn't matter <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> you're just like, pulling teeth yeah exactly yep. and 
development. That was a key word that we had a discussion about that earlier. I want to talk about the difference in development versus teaching. Yes, and that, that's a very important distinction, and people have trouble grasping it. So I, I, the way I look at it is you develop a puppy and you train the dog. And a good example of developing would be when I was five years old, uh, my dad, who, who was a competitive swimmer uh, in college, threw me and my sister in the bay. And I remember thinking I was going to drown. And then all of a sudden, I started like moving my legs and moving my arms. And all of a sudden, I'm doing this little doggy paddle. And I'm thinking I'm really cool. It's like, hey, look at me. I know how to swim. Well, I was born with that ability. But if I was 10 or 11 or 12, something happens, I don't know, in the brain or whatever, where you're, you're not as receptive to a lot of your genetics. Um, so, you know, an older person trying to learn how to swim is going to have probably a swim coach or a swim teacher, you know, and they'll, you know, move your arms, move your legs, that kind of stuff. But nobody had to teach me that. I was born with that ability. But you have to then develop that ability. And that's... And you do you have to do it early, um, and I'm sure there's science behind it, and people know that. But um, well, and ultimately, it's the natural instinct is in there. Exactly. But the longer you wait, the more it just kind of fogs out. You lose grays it. Out. You yeah. lo- you lose it, and it's still down deep in there. But getting it to come back out is, you know, dependent on what we're talking about and how long it's been. You know, it might be near impossible, but it. it it really just circles back to the emphasis that we all in, in the dog world put on genetics. And then we talk, exactly. I use the word exposure a lot, is expose exactly. them and then get out of the way. And and I think a lot of people's issues, uh, especially first timers who think that, you know, I have to teach this dog everything, including how to point. They kind of get in the way of that natural instinct coming out on its own to where you're developing a dog and they think that, you know, from the moment that you get that dog home at eight weeks, that you're teaching that dog everything. But if the genetics are there and that natural instinct is there, you're not really teaching them. You're just bringing it out of them. Yeah. You're giving them the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And so while we're doing this, while we're bringing that natural instinct out of them and we're developing them, how long are we doing this, this early stage development? When do we start we, we transition over, you know, training with Mo and study with style. You start getting into the check cord and, and the slip collar and all that stuff. How long are we doing these these initial kind of, I, I don't know, just early development runs with the puppy? Is there a kind of a, a thing that we're looking for in the puppy, a behavior, or is it, you know, nine, ten months? You know, walk me through when you know it's ready to take the next step in formalizing some training. Yeah. Training. Okay, so formal training is when you start teaching the dog and you start expecting certain behaviors um, and you correct the dog if he gives you the wrong behavior. I, I, I rarely correct a puppy. I mean, if he's, if he keeps jumping up on me, he finally gets an, I get annoyed. I might like, <laughs> pick him up by the collar and choke him a little bit. Like that's you're how, not figuring this yeah, out fast it, enough. It's I'm like, going to hey, help you. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. But, but I do it. Um, I actually love to have my, my older uh, females uh, 
um, they, they, they can work on puppies that get full of themselves. They, <laughs> they have, uh, and, and, and they, and they know, and they, and they know exactly how much pressure to, to put on those puppies. So I sort of leave it up to them, but there's a point at which a puppy, so, so there's a stage that puppies go through around six months old. That's actually a brain development, um, stage. And those puppies start to become more independent from their mother. Um, at that point, they, they start to become more independent from me. And they will, well, let me step back. I, I use here to mean go with me and come to me. So a puppy, when, when he's around six months old, all of a sudden he won't come to me anymore. And he'll go with me because, of course, he knows we're going to do something fun. But, <laughs> but when we start coming into that, coming towards the kennel, it's like, uh-oh, he'll ditch me. Well, when he starts doing that, it's it's time for a little, um, uh, what's the word, um, discipline, I guess, boundaries uh, or, or yeah, yeah, just yeah. just some, some kind of structure almost. Yeah, um, I don't want. I don't want that puppy to learn that he can take off and find birds without me. So my, my dogs literally never, never, I mean, eventually they, they'll figure it out, but I don't want them out there running around having a happy time and I'm not there. So I do introduce the electric collar. I tend to do that earlier than most. It's not something I really encourage people to do if they're not um, experienced and comfortable. Um, but I do teach them, I use the collar more as like a little cue. Um, I'll, I'll turn and I'll call them and they're going to want to run in front of, run in front of me. Um, but if they don't, if they decide they want to go in the woods, then I'll just tap them real, real light with a low level of stimulation. And that's just your way of saying, get back out in front. Come exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's. Really, it's an extension of the check cord. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't use it for anything else. If I call, I never use it when I call a puppy to me. But what I'll do is, if I can't get a puppy to come to me, I'll put him behind me. I don't know if you, I can explain this, but I'll turn, actually put him behind me, and I'll go here. That puppy's going to run to get in front of me. And when he's getting close, I'll just lean down, put my arms out, and he'll just run right to me. And, I, and I'll, I'll treat him up and pet him up. And I try to do that a couple times during the walk. So he doesn't think that every time I do it, I'm going to pick him up. Yeah. But I have a lot of puppies that, that are smart enough that they, they know when we're heading back, they start to ditch me. So I, I, I always address it. And if the puppy's, sometimes the puppy's too young to introduce the collar. So I'll just put him up. And then when he's mature enough, mature enough, I'll be able to do that. And that's one thing that, that I really appreciated is while we're obviously doing these puppy runs and we're getting them up to a certain point, you're also in no rush. Like you said, you know, you might do these runs and get birds out, you know, a couple times a week. But you, what you just said, if the dog is not ready for that next step, you don't just keep doing the same stuff you've been doing up to that point. You're just, you just kind of slow it down, 
and we'll get there when the dog is physically or mentally mature enough exactly. for this. And you're not creating bad habits by just doing the same thing over and over again, watering it down, making it mean less, maybe getting the dog bored with it. You're just like, okay, we're just going to keep you up and then we're going to come back here in a couple of weeks and we're going to see if we're ready for it. That's right. That's exactly right. And if, if, I, um, if I call a puppy to me and I'm going here and I say here more than a couple of times, I'm just teaching her to teaching her to ignore it. So, you know, here's not going to work for you. <laughs> so, you know, if if she if she's not going to going to listen and, you know, that that's I mean, people teach woe to their puppies on a cord when they're like 6 6 months old and they're out there going whoa, whoa, whoa like this. That dog's not paying any attention. So when they go to break him and they go, whoa, dog goes, oh, yeah, that means I get to go chase birds. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, um, you have to be you that's, have to be a minimalist. That's that's a, I, I want to repeat that in case people miss that. Right. It, you just said something that's very key. And we all of us here said something similar today. Of We've all seen people that have done this. They just constantly reuse the word whoa. <laughs> okay. And we're going to get into woe here in a second and, and what that means in, in this method. But what you just said is paramount. And I think it's, it's, it's important to emphasize the fact that if your dog, if you, if you are going to use woe and your dog is not trained to the level of woe yet, and you take it out in the field and say it's chasing a bird and you're just constantly yelling, whoa, whoa, whoa. All you're doing is associating that word with the action of chasing the bird. So you're actually teaching the exact opposite of what you're wanting the dog to do. And I I just, I wanted to to emphasize that because it doesn't get talked about enough to where when we talk about teaching stuff in the short grass before the long grass, there's a reason for it. Don't just go out there just because you've done one or two sessions and the dog knows to wait there until you release it. And then go use it on birds because all you're doing is teaching the dog. When I say, whoa, go chase that bird. That's, that's right. <laughs> and and the same is true with here wanting the dog to come to you. And that's one reason why I don't use the collar. Mm. Because when that dog comes to me, I want it to be a positive experience. And so I carry treats. Um, uh, when, when the dog's more advanced, I may carry like a couple pigeons in my bag, in a bird bag. And, you know, I may, you know, I'll fly them out cause I have homers, but you know, people that don't have homing pigeons or whatever, you can tie a string on to a stick and have it in your bird bag and just take it out and let the bird fly around it. And the dog will go, Oh, look at that. Yeah. And come running towards me. And I put the bird in the bird bag. I pet him up. I may have, I'm, I'm a big fan of pepperoni. <laughs> you know, you can carry it in your pocket and you don't smell. Well, what about Bill West trick? Just put out a helium balloon out of your vest and just <laughs> let it fly behind you. That wouldn't work. That's more for like getting the, okay. getting the birds to hold. <laughs> I didn't know. They make some crazy balloons out there. You might yeah. find a cool kite or something to use. Yeah. Uh, Let's get into the woe method because it, the, this is a very big difference in a lot of training methods and, and how a lot of people, myself included, were brought into the bird dog world. You know, we we brought in, I just, by the time this episode comes out, we've already done an entire series on woe. Uh, oh. But I think we're, we're all kind of brought into this world taught and told that woe is king 
and you know you can't even steady a dog up with woe and this this method kind of turns that around a little bit to where y'all don't y'all don't train woe at least not in the sense that everybody's accustomed to it so what what is woe define woe for us and then define it try and explain to us how in y'all's method why y'all don't use it and why there's really no need for it so woe means stop basically and stand still um the problem was and as as i understand it Bill West, he did not like to use woe because he knew human nature and he knew that if if you if you used woe in training, you would use it around birds. And it it wasn't it's it's not the trainer who's telling the dog what to do. I mean, we we, we don't interfere. The, the, the dog on his own is gonna stop because we've taught him that a bird in the air means stop, means whoa. Um, so that that eliminates guys that, you know, when, when the dog starts to chase, the, the guy's yelling, whoa, 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 we're silent. And, you know, like I told that little story with Dave Walker, he said, you don't talk to the dog till the dog talks to you. <laughs> well, it's amazing how many people talk and aren't even aware that they're talking. So Dave always laughed about how he'd put duct tape on some of these, you know, owners' mouths, and they were totally unaware that they were talking, but they were talking. And I mean, I get people all the time that come out and run puppies with me, and and I'll say, now, we don't talk. You guys are some of the only people that have ever come out here and didn't talk. I mean, they all talk. And I'm going, yeah, right, you don't talk. it's 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 just human nature. So, in in the West method, we teach the stand command, and the stand command means stop and stand still. We teach it with a pinch collar and check cord, um, and we don't say anything. We we do body language. We do you know an upward pull of the of the of the pinch collar. Um, the pinch collar is a great tool. Uh, in the West Method, you, we, we use a check cord, which is probably, I asked Mo one time, I said, if you could only have one piece of equipment, what would it be? I thought he was going to say the electric collar. He said the check cord. And he's right. I mean, as I got you know more into it, I, I knew you have, to handle, you have to handle a check cord well. Very few people do. Um, the 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 check cord in the West Method is 12 to 14 feet long. Any longer than that, you've got your electric collar, which you use like a long check cord. Um, you handle how you handle. There's a real art to handling a check cord. If you watch somebody like like Mo or somebody that's really good with a check cord, they play it like almost an instrument, you know. And I mean, you you you. You put and everything is slow. People don't understand. Um, you, you do it slow, and it's body language. If you're out there with your arms and hands flailing around and talking and stuff like that, the dog's just, he's not paying any attention to you. But if if you are out there and you're you know you're you, you always let the end of the check or drag on the ground. You don't hold it in your other hand. Your other hand is on the electric collar if you're at that point, or it's on the launcher. So you, 
we we work if you're right-handed you work with the dog on the right and you use your right hand and the reason is that the time your timing is so important it goes it holds the check cord and that i mean that just speaks it really does speak volumes for how important that check cord is um the 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 tag end drags on the ground um you you give a little tug or whatever um, uh, to ask the dog to stop. Um, it's 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 a little hard. Um, kind of stand I'm gonna, up. But, I'm going to do a play by play. You're standing up. You're about to give us an important yeah. lesson here. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of slow down a little bit, and I'm and I'm looking out there. Actually, I'm looking for a good place to stop on the ground because that ground up there is pretty rough. And I'll stop. And as I stop, I pull up on the checkboard. And then I, I'll stroke the dog. I do, you don't pat them like, you know, pat, pat, pat. It's just a slow pat. And then I'll stand alongside of him. And he's just going to stand there. He doesn't know what's going on. I'm going to stand there. And then and you, in, everything is woven together. So I'll give him a little tap on the side. And then I'll step off and go forward. I'll go a little distance. I'll ask him to stop. You pull up a little bit, but not hard. He'll stop, and then I may st- step back and start walking behind him, working, I mean, working behind him. And, you know, then I'll step up. I might see if I can get in front of him. Probably not right away. Takes a couple times. And eventually, I'm going to be able to pull up with the pinch collar and drop the rope, walk around him. Then I'll be able to overlay the, the pinch with the electric collar, so he thinks he doesn't know which is which. You know, he's getting a little nick from the from the stimulation. He's getting a little tug from the collar. So you're just overlaying the stem over exactly. the over the collar. So he he's learned he's actually um, you know getting getting used to the feel of the collar with the the pinch collar too, which is a lot easier than if you just do the pinch collar by itself. I mean, I'm sorry, the electric collar by itself. So I'll build into where I can get out in front of him. I can pretend to flush, walk back to him, and I'll go forward. Now, at the same time that I'm teaching the stand command, we really um, like to have have a, a, a session end on a, on a good note. It's really important. We always work in the training field, not the backyard. We want that dog excited, thinking he might find birds. There don't have to be birds out there, but you want him to be thinking about birds, that he, he might be able to find them. It makes him happy. You see dogs that are trained in the backyard, guys go, whoa, and they do all this stuff. And the poor dog's going, oh my God, you know, this is so boring. I'm going to try to hide in my doghouse. But they get excited and put them on the stakeout. You know, they know there are birds out there and they want they want to go. So you 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 want a hap, you want to work a happy dog. And as as your that dog is learning the uh, to stop and stand still, when when he's given you what you want, when you've made, you know, um, an improvement, I always try to look for improvement. It doesn't have to be much, but 
you know, everything. You're, you're not looking for perfection. You're just Absolutely. looking for improvement from yesterday. I have that in my kennel. Okay. <laughs> Don't look for, for perfection, you know, look, look for, for improvement. improvement. Yeah, exactly. And the West Method is small steps. Sometimes it's tiny steps, little tiny steps. Um, you, you train every dog the same, a soft dog, a tough dog, you, an old dog, a young dog. You don't train, you don't change how you train, you adjust. So you may do more steps. You may be firmer, you may be, you know, softer, but you just always adjust to, to the dog. Um, so you've, you've got your dog starting to stand fairly reasonably. And each time you work him, you end on letting him point a launcher. Now, he may not point a launcher. He may charge at it. He may, you know, who knows what he's going to do, do with it. If he charges it, I'll let him chase to the end of the check cord. Um, stop him kind of gently. Um, sometimes some of those big short hairs, <laughs> Mo, Mo will get him a boy. They'll, they'll charge that launcher and, and Mo will step off to the side a little bit. Um, and when the dog hits the end of the end of the check cord, he'll spin himself, you know, cause he's, he's kind of off balance. Um, so that, that's, uh, the, the, the dog corrects himself, I guess would be the good way to say it. Well, over time, he's getting he's getting better on the stand command, and he's starting to hold point more on launchers because every time he he lifts a paw or you know at, you know is starting to dive in, you launch the bird. So he's learning. Boy, I got to stay off that stay off that that launcher. I can't get too close because the bird flies. He's going to start to get more and more solid on the launcher and here he's getting more and more solid on the stand command so i might put a launcher out and when when i go to launch it i may stop that dog fairly you know fairly short distance and then i'm going to walk out in front of him just what i've been doing when i taught stand so over here, I'm working on stand. Over here, I'm working on actually pointing. pointing. And now I'm going to start to bring the two together. He already knows to stand, but I'm going to start to combine them. And that's what's so... The dog's prepared now to hold point and stand after the flush. I'm teaching him that. And I'm teaching that by basically teaching him the stand command. And, and to does start, that make sense? It, it absolutely does. And and to try and connect this for everybody all the way back to our puppy session today, you're developing the dog between the bird on this walk to where she's learning, I'm not catching the bird, I'm not catching the bird, I'm not catching the bird. When the puppy shows that it's ready to start learning something else, that's when you come in and it's like, okay, I'm going to teach you to stand. You teach the stand and then you go back to the birds and then you're just overlaying the stand with the fact that that dog, when you're creating that monster as a puppy, that bird-driven monster, that dog learns, I can't catch that, and there's an expectation to stand. Exactly. So it makes sense to where it's like, okay. It just becomes all intertwined. Yes. So I, I have to ask this. Oh, yeah. What is the difference between teaching a dog to stand 
and teaching a dog woe. Because to me personally, it sounds like ultimately it's the same thing, except you already said y'all don't, y'all aren't talking. So I guess here's a better question. Do you actually command the dog to stand or is it just an expectation? Um, I command the dog to stand uh, with the uh, the cue from the pinch collar, mm-hmm. and then I roll that over to a cue from the electric collar. Yep. So I can have a dog working in front of me, tap him with momentary, and he's going to stop. Yep. And so that that was it. I was just trying to clarify for those listening, you're not going out there in the same sense that we would woe. A lot of people teach woe in a very similar way. I did when I first got into it with the walking heel method and all that stuff. But you're not using woe. You're not saying stand. You're you're just creating the behavior with the cue from the collar that then leads into the into the e-collar. So for those that, right, might, yeah. right. so, so we talked about that briefly earlier to where I'm like, well, what's the difference between stand and woe? And it's, it's really more the way it makes sense to me. And you can tell me if this, this is just off base is woe is a command in the, in the sense that everybody learns it and uses it, overuses it more often than not. Stand is more of just an expectation. Well, actually it's a silent woe. Yep. And if it's it's just like Bill Bill West was so smart. If if he let people use woe when I started doing the launcher work and then the dog starts chasing, ninety nine and a half percent of people are gonna go, Whoa. Yes. Well how how do you stop them from doing it? You just don't don't use the word around birds. Yep. And even in the book, Training with Mo, Mo even says that he has some clients that they want woe. Right. And he doesn't change anything. He, he does it, the method, like you said, you're training every dog the same exact way. All he does is name it at the end. So it's kind of exactly. free, it's, it's free shaping by the sh- pure definition of it. So I think a lot of people that immediately kind of turn their nose up at this method, like, oh, they don't even use woe. It's like, I mean, in a way, they kind of do. Oh, we absolutely do. It's it's a silent woe. Right. And so that, that that was just one big thing that that I noticed when I'm reading it is it's like it makes all the sense in the world. Baby step on up. Like you said, it's you're just looking for improvement. Everything that we preach about woe, it, and it just comes down to the discipline of the handler no matter what. As we just talked about the example of the handler yelling at the dog woe a million times while the bird's flying away, you have to be disciplined on when when you use these commands and expectations and cues, ultimately. Right, exactly. And sometimes it's better not to have the option because mm-hmm. then you don't, you don't do it. Yeah. I want to talk about, you, you, you mentioned it a minute ago, what is the importance of the wind in this scenario? Because reading the book, there is a lot of emphasis on getting the wind right and setting up your training scenario to where you can anticipate before the dog even reacts, you know a thousand percent what that dog should do in this scenario. Talk to me about the importance of a crosswind versus, you know, getting the dog in the right favor of the wind, because this is paramount in what you guys are doing in the it timing absolutely of all is. This. Yeah. And, and, and it, I mean, how do you know when a dog is hunting? Really, just the change of behavior by the uh, well, uh, hunting is like searching a field, and ultimately, but when they strike game, 
you have to be able to tell that change of behavior, that COB in the dog is, does it jerk left? Does it jerk right? Like, you know, all that stuff. Am I, am I kind of hitting the, the, no, I'm not even touching it yet. <laughs> I know when a dog's honey, when he's using the wind. Okay. That's it. I mean, if you watch a dog, you watch a field trial dog break away and he's running down a hedgerow and all of a sudden he goes over to the other side, that dog's hunting. That dog that runs down the middle of the field, like it's just going he has somewhere. an unadal look. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's his pointer and his tail's level, you're in trouble. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a dog hunts because he use he knows how to use the wind, and that's genetic. Mm-hmm. And that little puppy was learning that today. She was learning that you know sometimes she had good scent, sometimes she didn't. You know, I mean, she she's. And she acted completely different on the birds that she was in the favor of the wind versus not. It, you know, anybody you listening to, to this is that. like, well, duh. But no, like you actually got to watch a three-month-old puppy when the wind was in her favor. You could tell when she knew that bird was coming up and she would stop herself. Meanwhile, the other ones that she just happened upon, she chased <laughs> until she gave up ultimately. So it's like even her her response to the bird flying was completely different just based on the wind. Yeah. Yeah. So we use the wind. I mean, that's so the trainer in the West method, the the trainer sets up the setup (laughs) and then the, the dog interacts with the setup. So when, when you're using launchers, you, you, you need to know where that wind is coming from. And you want, to, you want to bring, you do not want to bring that dog in downwind of the launcher because that dog, the closer he gets, the stronger the scent. And that's going to just make him go straight to that Rip launcher. It. Exactly. Yeah. You want to bring him in crosswind. He's going to be going along, you know, all of a sudden like, whoa, all of a sudden that scent hits him, bam, he points, you know. You can launch the bird if, I mean, depending on, you know, how, how, where that dog is, if you, if you want the, the, it's very, it's very easy. Anybody that's seen a pointing dog in the field for any, any stretch of time, they know when a dog catches wind on a crosswind, but there's also a, there are certain things that we're teaching these dogs, uh, that you don't want the dog to have any wind. Exactly. And that, 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 that's great. That's real. I'm really glad you brought that up. So in, in the West method, you have two situations. One is on birds and one is around birds. So when a dog is around birds, he does not have scent of the bird, but he knows that there are birds out there. When he's on birds, he has scent of the bird. So in the West method, the dog doesn't have scent of the bird that much. And, and I do a lot of setups, and one of my favorite, because you can put a lot of pressure on the dog, and he's, he's not on birds. It's not going to hurt. You don't have to be careful. If the, dog, if the dog has scent of the bird, you have to be careful. You know, you don't want to do something that is going to upset the dog um, and make him not, not like birds or worse, not like launchers, and that happens all the time. Um, so... Early on, when when I start to uh, when, when that dog's doing well on the stand command, I'll 
put a launcher that's upwind of, of you know, like I'll have an idea. I'll go, okay, well, I'm going to stop this dog here. So I'm going to put that launcher, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet um, ahead of me. And I might even have a piece of flagging out there to, to tell me, okay, this is about where I want to stop. And I'll ask the dog to stop. He's just going, oh, yeah, another one of those stop, you know, stop things. I got that down. And um, I'll step behind him a little bit. I'll have a good hold on the check cord and I'll launch the bird. And he's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, where'd that come from? And a lot of times um, when I'm when that dog is far enough along with the electric collar, that's where I'll actually start to introduce the collar around birds. Okay. Um, you have to be very careful with the launcher. People will you know, bring, bring the dog in, crosswind, the dog will point. The dog will, I mean, the dog will take a step, you launch the bird, and you, you want to wait if you're going to use an electric collar or even a severe stop for that dog to get past the launcher. But a lot of people, that dog gets up, they zap the dog, um, and all of a sudden the dog starts thinking the launcher's getting him. So one thing that I've learned over the years is dogs make crazy associations and half the time you'll never figure them out, but they, they do make them. And um, so you just have to have to be careful when you see something that's like, well, well, just, just like what, what we're trying to do in all of this is create those associations. Everything we're doing is we're trying to create, this means that to that we're, dog. We're trying to create specific associations exactly. and we can actually make, we think we're making one association and the dog's yeah. actually making a totally different association. Su superstitious associations. Like inadvertently we can Well, make, once we've taught them probably. Yeah. And, but we're unaware. Right. And, and so this is, this is perfect because this is where I, I'm wanting to go. Is we're trying to, in this scenario, the timing matters, right? And, and one yeah. big emphasis in the book over and over and over again, and I honestly didn't pick up on it till like three quarters of the way through the book. Like it didn't bold it. It didn't just in your face, on your nose. But I just kept like by the end of the book, I'm like, every time y'all talked about a correction around birds or even on birds – it it met, you made a priority to put in that book once the bird absolutely flushes, it's a bird in the, in the air. air you're never correcting the dog while the bird is on the ground or in a launcher and you just it was very subtle to where it's just like i said it took me a while to pick up on it and oh, it that's, took me i'm glad you did three quarters <laughs> of the way through i'm like man like they just they keep saying in the air in the air in the air and i'm like they're drilling it in my head, or I keep saying that you keep kept drilling it in my head that you don't correct this dog until that bird is in the air, so that you don't create any of these bad associations. Whether well, it's Mo, with Mo would say that, okay. Yeah. And but also, what we're trying to do is create that association where we talk. We call it stop to flush. Is is what it is, and you you know what you're doing. Well, it's not us. It's. The, um, yeah, the, the, the setup the, that I yes. was telling you about, yes, yes that yes. it's different than stop to flush. I'll go from that to stop to flush because stop to flush, the dog's moving. Yes. But this is, this is that foundation. You, you, the baby steps like you're talking about first, you have to create the, 
you know, you might be stopping the dog yourself and then the bird fl- flushes out of the launcher, right? And then later you're going to eventually make so many improvements and do so many reps that eventually you can then flush that bird and then the dog stops on their own. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that early, it, it's really like a stop and stand. Um, uh, the, um, the, the, the dog is learning that a bird in the air means stop. So, you know, it's, uh, the, when, when you're, when you're working dogs on birds, they get their, their brains get excited. You know, they, they, they get in that prey drive. They get in that primitive brain. Shark eyes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I've written a couple, couple things. Uh, I wrote a little, tip, training tip that I called uh, adjusting the thermostat. And so when you're out in the field, you want to be constantly paying attention to your dog. Um, you want you want to work them when they're in what I would call a rational state. And Bill Gibbons used to talk about how you teach children when they're sitting at their desks, not playing in the play yard. It's very hard to teach little kids when they're running around screaming and yelling, you got to put a lot of pressure on, on those kids to get them to be quiet. If they're sitting at their desk, they take very little pressure. So one thing that I like to do is I like to, to use the minimal amount of pressure that's necessary. And I try to lower that. I don't know if this is really part of the West method, but it's actually built into the West method um, because you might you might start out doing obedience, and that's what the stand command. That that's basically obedience. And here, you know, possibly you might do a couple of those. Um, and that that dog's in his rational brain; he's working. And then you show him a bird, and he gets he gets all amped up. He's excited and stuff. Then you let him calm down. Sometimes I'll just, I mean, as the dog gets more advanced. I'll just leave him standing. I mean, I'll move him away from the situation. I'll ask him to to stand still and I may take out my phone and, you know, do stuff and, you know, go back. I mean, I I just want him to just chill basically. And uh, then I'll take him to another setup with a bird. If, If you just take your dog from one setup to another setup, he's just like, you know, whacked out. Yeah. And, you're not you're not helping him. You're you're just gonna have to. It's gonna take more electric to get his attention. It's gonna you're gonna take more pinch collar stuff to get his attention. But if you just get him back calm again, so so a a typical workout might be you know you take your dog up, ask him to stand a couple times, walk out in front of him, take him to a launcher. Um, you know he points it. You stop him. Uh, you you walk around in front of him, pretend to flush. You know, as the training progresses, you might have a bird bag and stand in front of them and throw a couple, you know, pigeons and, you know, correct him if he needs correcting. You know, you introduce gunfire and that stuff. And those are all big steps. You have to kind of step back a little bit. Um, and you just need to give him time to, you know, calm down and then you, you know, bring them back up again and then you calm down. And so you go to, you know, after you've had bird work, you would take him and do a little obedience and, um, 
get him calmer and focused on you and, and the job. And then you would work him on a bird and bring him back up again. It's, it's almost like with these bird dogs, hopefully there's some sort of fire in all of our bird dogs, right? Yeah, that, that you desire, breed for that. We breed for that. We want that. And our jobs as handlers, it's almost like we decide when and how much gasoline to pour on that fire. Exactly. Ultimately, and it's adjusting the thermostat. And I did read that article. And oh, you I, did? <laughs> and I, I will have that linked into the show note because it's a very good article and it, and it puts a lot of things in perspective that, that specifically. But that's the one thing that I, I really enjoyed reading your book and kind of learning this method a little bit more is because it's just like all other methods to where everything should lead into the next thing. And then I think Mo, Mo uh, and one of the quotes that you have from him in the book was he's like, a lot of people will talk about how much longer it takes me to train this and that it's yeah. a lot of one step forward, one step back. And it's like every time you take that next step in the training, it is almost kind of like you're going back to where it's just like, okay, we got to the check cord and launcher and then we got to the point to where we, we were dragging the check cord. Then we're changing the wind direction. Now we're picking the check cord back up. But there's a reason and purpose for all of this to win. By creating these associations the way you guys have and the baby step and, and, and just a sequential order, by the end of it, you have those associations built up to where if you're building that steadiness, you, ha you have that association with the bird flying and the standing to, for the dogs to, st to stay there. But also that transitions into stop to flush, which then transitions into backing and honoring. All of that stuff builds off of, it, off of each other. And that's one thing that I appreciated as somebody who I've done numerous episodes on backing and honoring and how you know a lot of us have to go back and create that association with the bird in this method, you're not having to go back and create that association with, association with that bird because that association with that bird goes towards everything else. It's making that bird be the teacher. Ultimately. That's right. So, that's exactly right. And, and that's, how, that's how I took it. One, one thing that did stand out to me, and we talked about it a little bit earlier today, and I told you it was going to come back up, is all the steadiness, everything make, makes sense, and, and every, everything on the book makes sense. I, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. When I got done, I was like, all right, I'm going to go interview Martha. What are we going to talk about? One thing I notice in the book that's not, not really in there is obedience, at least in the sense that most of us dog folks in the world, especially the NAVDA world, come to think of obedience and how we're always taught obedience is really the foundation. And I know you just said there's here, you know, you teach Stan, you teach the, these expectations and cues, but what is the emphasis that you personally put on on obedience so um well first off i i do need to say that that the book is mo's book i mean it's you know pretty much how he feels about training you um, just put it into words i did him. and and because we both worked with dave you know we kind of agree on a, a, a lot of it but but it uh uh anyway i just want to make make that clear um so Dave always said that a dog had to be a citizen. And by that, he meant the dog had to walk on a lead. Had, he just had to be a citizen. He couldn't be this crazy dog running out there being an idiot. Um, there's a lot of, it's not really obedience, but um, check cord work, early check cord work is very often misunderstood. Um, people, most people, um, that go to the West method, 
they can hardly wait to get to birds and launchers. The, all the other stuff just doesn't seem interesting to them. But if you start training a dog before you've earned his respect, you're going to be training that dog forever because he's not going to listen to you. So the early check cord work is really important. Um, we don't let, uh, we don't want dogs to drag us around. And when you have a well-bred dog that is very enthusiastic and he's in the training field and he's had birds before and he's big, he's going to drag you. So you've got to spend, you cannot actually start training that dog until you've made him a citizen. And you can do it. I mean, there are lots of ways to do it. You can, you know, he starts heading out and you go the other way and, you know, you do that kind of stuff. Um, but in, until he is paying attention to you, he should be, I, I, I like to describe it as he should be hunting in front of you. There should be some pressure on the check cord. If that, if that check cord is, is limp, you've got a problem. Something, something happened in the last training session or something that's not right. He should, you know, sometimes a dog will come into your side. Um, I'm not really talking about the obedience, but the... I get sticky. Now, sticky's different. Okay. I, that's on my list to get <clears throat> okay. to here in a minute, too. But, <laughs> but if that dog isn't, isn't pulling somewhat, that dog's not happy. So usually, I mean, I'll just go out and have, have somebody shoot a couple birds for me. Um, the, 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 the dog should have a good attitude. Um, he should have a good work ethic. Um, but uh, if he's just blowing you off and, you know, like I said, dragging you around, um, you need to work with him on that check cord until he becomes a citizen. And the... Probably the strongest correction that we do is the spin. You read about the spin. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you basically lift the dog up his off his front front feet and then spin him around. <clears throat> Some dogs, one spin, it, it disorients them. It doesn't hurt them, but it d disorients them and they don't it's like, like Whoa, it. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. You know. Some dogs are like, yeah, whatever, you know, and you're going, okay, this is a two spin dog. Some are three. Some you end up trying to spin the other way. I've had dogs that, that when I go to spin them, they spin themselves. So, you know, but eventually uh, Mo has a great story. He was um, trying to get a dog to do something. He was talking to Bill, Bill West on the phone and, and Mo's going, I, you know, I keep spinning him, Bill. And Bill goes, well, spin him the other way or, you know, just keep going. You almost got him. You almost got him. And I don't know how many times Mo ended up spinning the dog, but finally the dog's like, yes, sir. Um, so somewhere in there, you know, you gain the dog's respect. And once you do that, they basically become a citizen. You don't have to do a lot of obedience, but I think obedience is important. Like, um, uh, I, I even wrote a little tip about it. Um, if you watch pro trainers, they have a routine that they go through. And that routine's really important. Um, you know, you can put a dog on a crate, in a crate or on a stakeout, somewhere where they're restrained. Then um, a lot of times I'll ask the dog to put his head through the, through the pinch collar. 
um, then I'll unhook them, I'll straddle them, and I'll get them dressed. And um, one thing that uh, you know I might mention is that the pinch collar always goes at the narrowest point of the neck, the ID collar, and then the pinch collars below it. So um, just just the act of straddling a dog is kind of dominant, um, and that helps settle the dog down and you know prepare mentally for work. Um, but uh, you know, obedience, that's pretty much up to, you know, the individual. Yeah, exactly. How, how, how much, how much obedience they want, you know, you have to be careful. Um, uh, you don't, you don't want that dog looking to you too much. Dependency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that's a, that's a pretty common error. A lot of people that, you know, especially first timers and, you know, I'm guilty of it with uh, probably Lucy, my second one more so than any of them. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to have the most obedient dog. And uh, you can get that obedience, but you also end up with times to where the dog's looking for, at you for direction and it's just like well you just go that's hunt. right <laughs> yeah and uh you you can get your way through it and this is this is where i want to get to on the on the sticky subject uh because in the book i thought that you and and mo did a very very good job of addressing the more common issue i would say that you see from people handling with check cords especially with the stop to flush or the coming from upwind of them your dogs start to learn to anticipate. Stop their flesh really bad yes, because they, they start sticky. thinking birds are everywhere. Yep. But you guys do a great job of saying this is normal. This is expected with a lot of dogs. We can fix this. Keep doing the training and we'll fix this later with this shooting the birds. And you just said that a little bit earlier ago. Sometimes reading your dog, if there's not excitement, if the, if the dog is bored, you need to go shoot a few birds. And this is what I really connected with on your book was the fact that y'all recognize that what we're doing, sometimes it might be viewed as us taking a step or two back. But because we created that monster at the very beginning. That's right. And we built right. that fire. We know that that dog has it in it to where when we get through this training, we're just going to pour more gasoline on that fire. And, and we're going to bring it back out of them. Because that's what I found fascinating when I went into this book was check cord work. I see too many dogs getting really sticky on check cord work. And to, to the opposite side of the point that we just listed a lot of people give up on the check cord work because it's creating that stickiness and they don't see it all the way through yeah it, would you say that that's the main issue if if you just stick with it when you, if you start seeing that dog get sticky just know if you did everything up to now correctly you're gonna come through this other side just fine you are absolutely and as soon as you take that dog off the check cord i mean that stickiness is gonna go um, but but you, you you want that dog to do it right with you. Um, I, I, then, you know, you can give that dog a little freedom, drop the check cord. Um, and then eventually he's going to, I mean, he's, he's going to transition into running the field like your little setter. It, you know, it won't take long. She she was full of herself t today. She yeah. just, she just got her first loose bird shot over her the other day, and and she's been. It, it was funny. She had this 
the bird shot for her for a few days ago and the next day i had an opportunity at another buddy's house to put birds out and he was like you want to put her out i'm like nah she doesn't need any more <laughs> birds right now i need i need a week of calming down right now because she's on that gasoline is still on that fire yeah. <laughs> but that's right. but that's ultimately what we want with these puppies that's what you just said i told you she's a little full of herself on birds right now and you're like i love dogs that love birds yeah you want a lot of money in your bank account because <laughs> you're going to be withdrawing it yep and and that's what made so much sense to me as i was reading the book to where it's just like all the what if scenarios if you just stop and think it's like oh because we built up all those brownie points at the start I, I can then get to go do all this stuff without my wife getting mad at me, right? <laughs> so it's it's brownie points, fire all, pick whatever analogy you want, but it just made sense to me. And the fact that all the associations of everything that we're building, because I'm not going to lie, a lot of it when I'm reading the book the first time through, I'm like, man, this is a lot of one step forward, one step back, one step forward, one step back, but you trust in the process and by the end of it, you, you end up with this well-rounded, full-broke dog in the field. That, that, that's right. And I, I talk about, I think, in the preface, maybe, that to really get the most out of this method, you have to surrender to it. People don't surrender to it. They'll take a little piece here and a little piece, piece there, or maybe they'll start it and they'll go, oh, I need more action. You know, I need more birds flying. I need more of this and that. And, you know, they're impatient and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, that's fine. Um, but if you, if you literally do surrender to it, um, and you let the dogs teach you like the first couple dogs, I did this method. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'm going, this makes no sense. And I'm looking at the dog and the dog's getting it. You know, it was really, <laughs> it was really weird. Dogs understand it. I, I can't explain why. Well, but, but they they catch on a lot faster than people do. And, and and you even said that this method it's not for everybody, but the people that it's for, it's kind of like the method finds them. They're not finding the method. It does. It it it'll, it'll speak to you. Um, I I want to just tell a kind of funny story, things that you don't really think about. Um, I was at Moe's a couple of years ago, and Harold Ray was there. Moe was working a, a a dog for Harold, and Harold and I are talking, and Moe's working, and Harold turns to me and he goes, did you see that? And I said, see what? And he said, look at the dog. And I'm going, well, you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Harold. And he said, that dog's not paying attention to us. And I thought, I, I, I mean, I was, he goes, because that dog, because you don't talk in the West method, that dog is, he said, dogs are always monitoring things. They're always, you know, on edge. Is somebody going to tell them here or somebody going to over here tell them, whoa, or something like that. They're, they're always a little distracted from, you know, conversations that are around them. And he said, but you don't talk to your dog. So dog's just ignoring us. And I thought, holy cow, I never thought about it, but it's true. Mm -hmm. You know, so the, the, the dogs can focus on the job at hand. Trainers are silent. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, I think we all work better. Like, I mean, we concentrate better yeah. in a quiet environment. We don't have all this stimulation and everything going on, and it's just we're down to business. So, yeah. as as we wrap this up, I want to get your take if there if there's any like important thing that we kind of glossed over. It's hard covering such 
a method such as this in, yeah. in such a short time, but I, I feel like we've done a pretty good job. It, but is there something that we looked over or we haven't hit on that you just think that is, it's very important to, to touch on while we're having this conversation? Honestly, I think you did a great job. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll think about it tonight. <laughs> you'll you'll, te you'll text me tomorrow and say, ah, I forgot this. <laughs> well, I know one thing. Um, I, I don't know how much we emphasized it. Um, but you want to work slowly. So um, the first time I saw Mo train, I thought, he's a good old boy. You know, he's very slow, very methodical. And then as I was around him more, I thought, no, he's slow on purpose. And I have people that come out here, and I think I was talking earlier, they're flailing their arms and the checkers here and all over the place. And, you know, they, 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 they walk out in front and they're real fast and erratic and stuff like that. And in a way, I, I, I tell them, I said, imagine that you're on stage, you know, where you're trying to communicate something. You, you, you're, you're very minimal in your motions because you're trying to explain something specific. So walking in front of your dog, walking behind your dog, walking into flush, all of those things, there's a way to do it. And the, and the simpler and in a lot of ways, the slower you go, the easier it is for that dog to understand your body language. And that's basically, you don't talk. The, the, the dog is reading your body language. Um, you know, he, if you turn your body, he's going to go in the direction that you're heading. You know, so he's always aware of your body language. Um, so the more clear you can be, the less movements you make, um, all those things really matter and make you a better trainer. I don't think there's any better way to close that out. I, th I think that's where, where we have to end. Martha, I appreciate you having us and entertaining us for, for a little bit this afternoon. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I look forward to the next time we get to run dogs and, and maybe get into a little bit more actual action <laughs> and training uh, next time we're up here. But I, I've truly enjoyed this, and I hope the listeners that have been requesting this for, for three and a half, four years have oh, uh, got what they wanted because you, you and Mo – uh, y'all did something special and I can, I can tell you from talking to numerous listeners, you guys have helped out a lot of people in the dog space. So just, oh, thank you. I just want to say thank you for ta taking the time, writing the book. And, and, uh, I'm excited to see you again at some point down the road. Great. Thank, thanks very much. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Martha Greenlee. This conversation was presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, as well as Upland Gun Company. Uh, this was one of the episodes that I ultimately just couldn't wait to share with you guys. There's some that when you record or or you get done and you're you're wrapping up, you just know that it was one of the better episodes. And this was one of the ones, at least how I feel, uh, was invaluable. It had a lot of information. And uh, Martha Greenlee, she uh, went above and beyond. She welcomed me and uh, Scott 
went up there with me to visit her and just kind of see how she runs things. Uh, we, we put a couple uh, dogs on the ground, got to see how she handles and, and just her approach. And, and it was... Uh, it, it it was valuable just to see how she interacts with her dog or really kind of in a way doesn't in, in, in some ways. Uh, as you guys kind of heard throughout the episode, uh, there's a lot of takeaways that I, I had just from a, a quick afternoon with her. And I want to thank uh, a listener, fellow patron, uh, Kenneth McKean, for linking this up and suggesting this. This was one of the topics that we've been asked about over the years when we were going to do the the – Steady with Style, uh, Wes Gibbons, Mo Lindley, kind of fill in the blank on how you want to label it or describe it. And uh, it's something that I've really kind of been doing a deeper dive on here lately from my conversations with people such as Grayson, which you heard on uh, last week's episode, and now Martha, and then reading the book Training with Mo. It's a method that is really appealing to me, and I'm wanting to dive in a little bit deeper. I, I truly appreciate the natural relationship between dog and bird element that really speaks to me a lot and so it's something that I'm just kind of personally kicking around uh, on my own personal end and and how I want to go train Quinn specifically and then uh, it's just there's a lot of good information if you haven't already I I highly urge you to get the book training with Mo read that and kind of get a better understanding of the of the timeline and the steps and stuff like that because it's it's a very interesting method and a lot of room to make it kind of your own and and see what it 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 develops as but yeah it's you know you you go meet up with people like Martha who's been in this for as long as she has and she's had the voice and experience uh, that she's had for so many years and it, it was just a pleasure walking the grounds with her and I mean her her property up in uh, southern Virginia it's just beautiful and just just getting to see her set up on the Johnny houses and how she utilizes those quail to v- develop these young dogs without a lot of work you know it's not a lot of back and forth it's not a lot of planning it's not a lot, bunch of launchers at, at, at the very start of it it was just really eye-opening to how you can kind of set your grounds up to work for you more so than the other way around. Um, but yeah, so hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think about it. Uh, I, I think there's, I thought it was one of the better ones that I've done in a long time. So hopefully you guys agree with that. Uh, I'm not going to keep you too much longer on this. I'm going to start wrapping this up. But Patreon, I am, at the time that this comes out tomorrow evening, I think that is, let's see here. Let me check my calendar. May 10th. That is a Wednesday. I'm going to be doing a Zoom room for our Patreon patrons. We're going to do, it's, you know, just GDIY talk. There's nothing specific. There's no guests. There's no topic. I want to start picking the brains of listeners and, and Patreon patrons uh, and just start creating more of a sense of community almost. You know, if you need training help, if you need, if you have questions, if you have uh feedback on episodes or topics or guests or suggestions or requests, uh, I just want to start creating at least a monthly forum or or outlet for somebody to come on and, you know, we kind of interact with each other and we just go from there. And uh, so that's going to be, again, May 10th. That's going to be 7 p.m. Central Time. So if you haven't signed up for Patreon already and you want to check that out, there's still time. Go check that out right now and sign up. In addition to this GDIY talk, we've really been focusing in on Patreon this year so far, ramping up the uh, the activity and how often I'm trying to do stuff. I'm trying to ramp 
ramp it up even more. But, you know, time is limited and there's only so much you can do. But in addition to this GDIY talk, you're going to have bonus episodes. The profiles are up there uh, that are recorded with video as well as early release stuff. And now brand new to the Patreon, I'm going to start doing monthly giveaways with Onyx uh, Elite Memberships. Uh, in addition to the Onyx giveaways, we have some uh, discount codes on there that have been on there for a little while, so check those out, but also the extended outros. I've been having a lot of fun with the extended outros. Some of them are uh, suggestions or requests from Patreon patrons or listeners on what they would like to hear. Some of them are just topics that really kind of spark an interest in me. Maybe something happened recently that just kind of gets in my head and I want to just expand on and and talk about for a little bit this week's episode. I'm going to talk about my thoughts, pros and cons as far as uh, taking your dogs out into public and using it for training and stuff like that. So if you have any interest whatsoever in uh, that topic or just, you know, you want to hear my random thoughts on random subjects on a weekly basis, then then check that out. There's a a lot of activity ramping up on Patreon. So uh, please consider joining and throwing five bucks our way a month at least. And, and, you know, it essentially buys us a beer. And it's just, again, trying to create a sense of community around people with a shared interest and shared passion. That's, that's, kind of what I'm wanting to steer the Patreon to. And then, uh, yeah, that's that's going to wrap it up. I'm not going to do too many more housekeeping things for you this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back with another episode. And uh, this one's going to be focusing on the versatile family. What, what does that even mean? You might have to tune in next week and find out. But, uh, you know, th- there's a couple key words in that, the versatile family. So take that for what it's worth. Hopefully you uh, join us next week. Again, thanks to everybody for hitting download. If you haven't already, hit subscribe and uh, catch next week's episode and uh, appreciate it thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us and our partners on facebook and instagram under gundog it yourself if you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content please check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself thanks again and happy hunting Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again and a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.